good uh, good to be with you again today. Thanks for uh, taking some time to to join us. Thank, grateful for our worship team as always, and uh, just a chance to be uh, spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Thankful for. Um, our media team to help make this uh, possible, and uh, thanks to Brenda for sharing last week a, a real timely word for for my for, for myself and for our church. And if you didn't have a chance to see it, uh, please take please take the opportunity to go back on YouTube and check that out. Uh, I don't know if you realize, but Christmas is just one month away from today. Uh, as we're recording this video, it is only one month away, and. Uh, there's lots of stuff that has to happen between now and then, but you know one of the things we we thought about is that Advent, the season of Advent, uh, is here, and you know some churches celebrate, others don't. Uh, periodically over the past number of years, we've celebrated Advent, uh, just uh, lighting the candles and the, and the wreath for the for the different um, the, for the different words that they represent. Uh, for some, uh, Advent has been a time of fasting and, and prayer, just giving up something. Uh, over that month, just to focus more on uh, on Him and uh, just that that expectation of what God still wants to do in our lives today. Uh, in in our house, you know, we have the Advent calendar, and we've had a different number of Advent calendars over the years. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but you know, maybe you do this with your kids and buy the ones where you can open the door of the chocolates, and you know, the kids are always racing to get to get their first thing in the morning to get the, to get to the chocolate. Uh, maybe if you're Dutch, you're like you're waiting a couple weeks, and then you're going to buy the advent calendar because they go on sale. And if you're really, really Dutch, you're actually going to save that calendar you bought on sale and you're going to use it next year. Uh, and you'll realize that the chocolate tastes as plasticky next year as it would this year. So it's a, it's a really good, good uh, uh, tip for, for um, making the money go further. So in our, uh, in, in, in our home, yeah, going through the different, the different uh, things that the candles represent, like the words of hope and, and peace and love and joy, and then getting to that final candle on uh, Christmas Eve that is the Christ candle, the reason, the reason that uh, we celebrate Christmas. You know, this, this year I wasn't really planning to do an Advent uh, message or an Advent series, but as I was prepping for this message for, this, for, for today, I realized it really does have an element of hope to it. And so uh, whether this becomes a series or not, today as we celebrate the, the lighting of the hope candle, uh, we're also going to be talking about hope uh, for our message, and I just want to title today today's message, Here's Hoping. You know, when you hear the word, here's hoping, what do you think? As I was picturing in my mind, it was like, I picture somebody like with their fingers crossed. And so I looked it up, you just put Google up, here's hoping images. And sure enough, there's people with their fingers crossed. And it's that, that hoping for a better outcome than the one that's expected. And maybe for you, that's, that's, that could be a realm of different things. Maybe for you, it's, you know, the release of an IPO on the stock market. You're like, oh, I hope it's going to go great. Or, or maybe you've, you invested in some things. You're like, oh, man, I hope it's going to do better than, uh, than I had planned. Or, or maybe if you're a kid, you're like, oh, man, I hope I actually get the Christmas gift that I asked my parents for this year. Or, or maybe it's like big things. Like you're like, man, I just hope that pregnancy test is positive next time. Or maybe you're the opposite. I'm like, I hope it's negative. I don't know your I don't know your deal, but you know maybe you've put your hope in someone, like a person, like maybe your hopes in a politician that they're going to be able to, to kind of change things around, or maybe your hope is in in a in, in your spouse that uh, or your kids, or maybe in your parents. You, you have these people that you you got hope in that maybe that you know they're going to come through for you this time. Hope simply that expectation that looking forward to. Looking ahead to something. And you know when hope's gone, man, life is bleak when there's nothing to look forward to. 
And they, you know, oftentimes that's when life is, it ends up being short, when people run out of this thing called hope. You know, last week I was at a conference all week, had a fantastic time there. There was lots of great lectures. Many of them were uh, university level, and I was like, wow, they're just like a, a lot to take in. Had some great conversations with some uh, pastors and leaders from around the country. A lot of real encouraging moments uh, there uh, for both Beth and myself. But there was one thing that in particular that stuck out to me. And it wasn't any of the, the uh, planned sessions. It was an early morning prayer meeting. And it's kind of miraculous that I was there because there's two things I'm extremely allergic to. Cold water and early mornings. And yet I was able to, to get up and go down there for this prayer meeting at 7.30. And uh, I was uh, just, as they shared the devotion, it was about, this, it was about Nehemiah. And uh, as we read through, you know, read through this little portion, I I was left leaving that prayer meeting afterwards like, man, I just, something in me wants to know more. And I I went uh, and began to read through the story of Nehemiah in my room later, and it just, it brought back all these memories for me. I remember things like when I was a kid that they uh, told us that Nehemiah was one of the shortest people in the Bible. It's because his name was Nehemiah, and I'm like, you know, I'll never forget that, and now maybe you won't either. And he was only taller than a couple of others. One was Bildad the shoe height and Peter who slept on his watch. So if you didn't learn anything else today, now you know who the three shortest people in the Bible were. But uh, dad jokes aside, Nehemiah is a person worth remembering however, however you remember him. And as we, uh, uh, as we read about Nehemiah, I just... There were certain verses that jumped out from a bunch of the chapters. And so I'd encourage you to read the story. Read the stuff that goes in between. But I want to leave a few thoughts with you today. So Nehemiah chapter 1. If you have your Bible, go. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of, uh, uh, it's about, yeah, I don't know, about this far in your Bible. You'll find it. So Nehemiah verses 1 to 4 says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani was one of my brothers, and he came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from the captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. So uh, just the backstory: Jerusalem had been destroyed. Uh, all of the uh, Jews uh, in Jerusalem had been removed from there. They had placed other people there. And then uh, about, I believe it was about 60 years earlier, this guy named Zerubbabel who led a, 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 a bunch of uh, re- refugees, for lack of a better word, back to their home, Jerusalem, to find it in ruins. And they began to rebuild the temple and they began to rebuild some of the houses. And so uh, Hanani had come to see, uh, to see Nehemiah and he's like, okay, so what else is happening there? How's it going for them? You know, are, are they making it? And here's what he said to him. He says, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble, actually, and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been burned and destroyed by fire. Verse 4, he says, when I heard this, I just sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned. I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. It goes on to to share Nehemiah's prayer. But he was so troubled by hearing about his home country and thinking, hey, they'd gone there to, to rebuild. But it just wasn't going as they had hoped or as he had hoped. And so Nehemiah was actually a pretty famous person. He worked in the inner courts of the king. He was the cupbearer. He would taste the, uh, the, the wine before the king would drink it. Just in case it was poison, Nehemiah would die first. You think, well, that's probably one of those lower jobs, right? Oh, another one died. Get a new, get a new cupbearer. But this was much, much more than that. He was actually one of the, the, a very intelligent man. 
somebody who would have given advice to the, to the king, one of the people real, real close to him. And so there was one day as Nehemiah, after hearing this, he showed up in the king's presence and he was bothered by all this and the king noticed. And that's a bad thing. Typically, you know, you're supposed to be happy and, you know, have your stuff together when you're in the king's presence. And, and he realized, he's like, Nehemiah, what's wrong? He says, are you sick? He's like, no, nah, he's, not, he's not sick. And he just he says he prayed a quick prayer and he shared with the king that his distress was over the fact that the, the walls had been torn down in Jerusalem and the disgrace uh, and the message they had heard from Hanani. And so he, he, he boldly asked the king if he would be allowed to have like a leave of absence to be able to go and see what's happening in Jerusalem and possibly rebuild the walls. And the king gives him permission to do that. And so he does, he goes to see for himself and he sees that Jerusalem's walls have been torn down. And they're in ruins. What does that mean? There's no safety. There's no protection for the people in Jerusalem. It says that the gates had been burned and destroyed with fire. You know, Nehemiah would later inspect those gates for himself. It says in Nehemiah 2 verse 14, we don't have a chance to read it right now, that he would go and he would see that the gates were actually impassable. You know, the, the purpose of a gate is to be able to go through it, but there was so much rubble in it that you couldn't go through it. And he notices the stones and that the stones were all broken. And burned, and as uh, Nehemiah and others had gone to set up and re- rebuild the walls, they were persecuted by people, really the enemies around. And one of them was named Samballot. And, and here's what Samballot says about Nehemiah and the condition of the walls. Nehemiah chapter four verse two. Uh, Samballot says, in front of his friends and the Samarian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? You know, do they actually think? that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Can you picture that? Here's this rubble of, of just broken stone with, with the, the evidence of fire on them, and, and they're, just, they're being mocked. They're like, you think you could build a wall out of this stuff? But Nehemiah was there on purpose. He inspected everything, and he met with the leaders, and he encouraged them. You can read it in Nehemiah 2, verse 17. Here's his meeting. He says to the leaders, he says, You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. So he says, Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Verse 18, he says, Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild. That was Nehemiah's words. Let's rebuild. And the people were like, yeah, let's, let's rebuild. And uh, it shows an exclamation part, uh, point in, in, in our English text because it was that, that idea of there was enthusiasm there. Let's rebuild the wall. And so it says they began the good work. You know, a couple of chapters later in chapter three it explains who built what portion of the wall. Their names were all listed there as they did that. In Nehemiah 4, 6, it says this, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. You know, Sam Ballad said, ah, they're not going to be able to do anything. But just four verses later, it's like they already got the wall halfway built. This was a verse I actually memorized when I was 15. That's like 30 years ago. Uh, I was at Teen Missions. For, the, for anybody who went to Teen Missions, they had their slogan was like, go lay a brick. And uh, you'd go to a different, you, first you went to boot camp, and uh, it was like they, they worked you hard uh, so you'd be prepared for third world countries. And then I uh, went to um, 
uh, Venezuela and uh, helped to build some church buildings there. And it was like, it was tough. But they'd have us memorize all kinds of scripture, which I'm really grateful for. But they had this scripture. And it seems like a strange scripture to, to memorize, but it's, they, they made us memorize it like this. And it's like, even at the conference, I shared it with Beth. It was like, so build we the wall and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof because the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah 4, 6, Ugh. I don't know why they add the uh, but it sticks in my memory to this day. And I thought maybe that was their motto was, hey, we're going to go build walls. So maybe we'll just have a memory verse about walls. But there was something powerful about this moment that these people had said, let's do this together. And as a result, when all everything was against them, they actually succeeded not only in rebuilding half the wall, they went on to finish that work. And it was great opposition uh, they found a way to make sure that those gates were once again opened. And, you know, as I thought about Nehemiah's story, I couldn't help but think about the church. Uh, the church is rarely far from my mind. It is something that it's something I think about often. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like as I read this, that it was like, this is just a, such a fitting description in my mind of what the church in general is experiencing today. You know, the stats would show us that over the past couple of years, the church is not what it's, was, it's used to be. Even though some of the buildings are reopening and things, the, um, Carrie Newhoff and some of the other um, uh, ch- uh, church leaders, they, they're, they're, they're posting these things saying, you know what, statistically people are not flocking back to church. You see the red line is not going, you know, to, 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 the, to the right and up. It's going down. The, the stats are not in our favor. And then the church itself, you see pastors resigning, you see church doors closing, we see buildings for sale. Uh, this week on Kijiji, Sharon noticed there's tons of pews for sale. And we thought, maybe they're going to chairs, but not likely. Most of them are because the buildings are, are for sale. And, you know, the walls seem to be broken down. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of safety in, in the church anymore. It's not like known to be that safe place. You go there, it's like, you know, you might get some hostile opinions from somebody. Uh, and, and the gates, the gates, the entryway seem like they're not passable anymore. You had someone sharing with me this week, it feels like I can't invite my friends to church anymore, whether it's, you know, whether it's the people there or whether it's the limits or whether it's the protocols or, or whatever it may be. It just feels like the gates are, are closed. You know, I listened to a message by Matt Chandler this week and uh, actually, it was an interview, and he talked about how in the, in the church in general, it seems like, you know, 30% are with the pastor in, in each church. 30% are like just, you know, they've left. They're like, no, we're totally the opposite and went and found somewhere else to go. And then there's 30% who are just confused. They're like, I, maybe I'm with, I don't know. And, and, and to be honest, I think it's, he's, he's probably right on. He can't do math in the fact that there's another 10% that he didn't account for. But other than that, other than that, this 30-30-30 this seems like a, a pretty, pretty accurate thing. You begin to wonder, you know, if, if this is kind of the decline or this is kind of what's happening with the church, is there hope for the church these days? And it's, it's, for me, I was just reminded, I was reminded of another conversation that Jesus had with a man named Peter. And, uh, you know, one, this, the verse we're going to look at, a couple of verses, we've read them a number of times We've referenced them often, especially here. But I've learned something again this week, something brand new as I was reading through it, uh, and which, is, which is what's so great about the Word. The more you read it, the more you continue to learn because it's a living and active uh, text. It's not just words on a page. It, it does something in the heart. And so we have Matthew to thank for this. Matthew was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. 
He was a witness of this event. He was there. And so he records them for us. And he tells us that Jesus was in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi had been named for a guy named Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus. And uh, Caesar Augustus was, uh, was a powerful, powerful man. Uh, he, he obviously could have these places named after him. They built temples uh, uh, for him. He's like, why do they build temples for a guy? Well, because his dad was even more famous. His dad was Julius Caesar. And Julius was so powerful in the eyes of the Roman people and the world that they deified him. They said he, he must be a god because of his ability and his power and his rule. And so uh, Caesar Augustus, of course, is his son. And so they would call him the son of God. Caesar Augustus, the son of God. And so uh, the other part about, that's interesting about Caesarea Philippi is, is also the, the location of Pan's Grotto, which is this cave that, that's in the, in the side of a mountain. And it, the water goes in and drops way down. There's a cer- certain spot where water comes out. And there's another spot where it goes down in. And, and they would measure that, that, uh, that chasm in that cave. And there was no way to find the bottom of it. And so they thought it must go all the way down to hell. It was like they called it, this is like the gates of hell. So here's Jesus in this place where Caesar, it's named after him. The gates of hell are, uh, are, are right there. And he asked his followers this question, hey, who do people say I am? And they're like, ah, some think you're Elijah, some think you're Moses and, and one of the prophets. And then Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus asks them, he says to them, but who do you say I am? We've often encouraged people to uh, answer this question for themselves. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? And Simon Peter answered and says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied and said, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn that from any human being. You heard the voice of God. He's speaking to you. And then he says this in verse 18. So now I say to you that you are Peter. And that that word means rock. And he says, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. And all the powers or all the gates of hell will not conquer it. You think, you know, as they're walking along, it's like, that's clever. He's going to build his church. This was a place where there's all these churches to these gods, including Caesar. And and what what is Peter's response to Jesus' question? He's like, you know what? You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. It's almost like one of those little zingers that's like, you know, they think Caesar Augustus is the son of God, but man, he's just a mortal son of a dead God. You, on the other hand, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. They think they've seen something. They haven't seen anything yet. You are way more than Caesar will ever be. See, I don't know if we often realize that, that that's why these men would later end up in jail. That's why these men would later end up being beheaded and crucified and everything. Because it wasn't because they just like, oh, we just believed that there was a man who rose from the dead. And so we're telling people about that. They're like, no, no, this man who rose from the dead, he's Lord overall, including Caesar. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that conflict was, was so strong for, the, for, the, for Caesar and for Rome that they're like, these guys, we, gotta, we have to get rid of them. But I love that Jesus' words was, I'm going to build my church. And like, I have all authority and I am going to build my church and the gates of hell won't conquer it, period. You know, I, I think the hope for our future as the church is based on that promise from the past. It doesn't really matter what's happened in the last couple of years, you know, as far as the, the church getting knocked down or whatever in, in the stats and polls and anything else. Even in the eyes of the public, it doesn't matter. The gates of hell, the enemy, whoever it may be, will never We'll never conquer the church that he's building. 
And to me, that just like this brings this incredible hope. Things might look like they've been torn down. Things might look like they've been destroyed, but only down, not out. So I watched this movie called Here Comes the Boom, and I thought it was a brand new movie, so I wasn't going to spoil it for all of you, but I was talking to Gary tonight. He's like, that movie's from like 10 years ago. So if you haven't seen it yet, well, it, here's the spoiler. You know, as I'm watching this family movie night, there, there's, uh, you know, um, uh, Paul Blart. I don't know what his real name is. He's laying down on the, uh, he's laying down on the, um, on the mat because he gets knocked out or like knocked down, and you think, oh, great, he's, he's, he's done for. And then, you know, has a chance to come back up. And, and there's this moment where it's like the, the whole movie's based around it. Here comes the boom. And I think sometimes that, that, that really, that's, that's a picture for me of where the church is at right now. That, that, in, that sometimes it's a thought that, oh, man, they've been knocked down on the mat. But they don't know the promise. They don't know the promise that <laughs> the gates of hell shouldn't celebrate too early. You know, Peter would elaborate on this conversation that, that he had had with Jesus and uh, he wrote about it later on to the early church believers. And, you know, we've read it this week. If you're reading through the New Testament with us on the Bible Project um, uh, app, you would, uh, you would have read these words where it talks about um, Peter's, Peter's encouragement to the New Testament believers. And it echoes what happened in Nehemiah. And it, it stirred some things up in my, in my heart. And so this is not just a here's hope and, you know, here's hope and the church is going to make it. It's like, now there's this confident hope in, in who is building this thing. And here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Listen to these words carefully. Jesus follower, these are written to, to us as well as to the ones who read it in the first century. He's like, he writes this, you are coming to Christ. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Peter reminds them, reminds the church in that day who they were coming to. Uh, he, you know, in, in, I was chatting with somebody this week. In, in North American church, we've, for my whole lifetime, have been raised with this idea that, you know, the gates to the kingdom were the same as the gates uh, or the doors of a, of, a, of a church, that you would invite people to church. Uh, and, and then you'd hope that they would get saved. You'd invite them and hope the pastor would save them. Or if it was like a you know, one of those rare moments where Billy Graham was in town, you know, that, w- that, that people would invite people to the Billy Graham crusade and, and hope that Billy would get them saved. And, and that's kind of been the, the thing, you know, I got to invite my friends to church. And if church isn't the way that, that I like it, then I'm not going to be able to invite my friends. And, and uh, how are people going to get saved? Do you realize that that's not how people got saved or added to the church in the New Testament? It didn't happen like that at all. If, as you read through all of Acts, you'll find that over and over again, it was people were coming to Christ in the marketplace, you know, in the open square, in the streets, in homes. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, actually, Peter, same guy, he talks about how he had, you know, um, Luke actually writes about how he, Peter had preached his very first sermon. And people had all gathered in the street to listen to this, this man who had some, some good things to say. But here's what he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts after he had preached about Jesus rising from the dead and that all were sinners and needed salvation. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, like, brothers, what do we do? They were convicted and knew that they stood guilty before God. They're like, what do we do? And Peter's reply was, each of you must repent of your sins and come to church. You know, you'll be saved. We're like, some of you are like, wait a second. Are you sure that's what it is? Well, it's in yellow. But if you read through scripture, you realize that that's not how it goes at all. 
And that's why we encourage you to read through Scripture. Here's what it actually says. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That idea of come to Christ. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 41, those who believed, those who put their trust in um, what Peter said, they put their trust in Jesus. It says they were baptized and what? They were added to the church. The church is not a building. It's, it's the gathering. That's what Jesus said to Peter. I'm going to build my gathering. It doesn't matter what building it's in. It's where are they gathered? It, it can be a basement. It can be a boardroom. It can be a, it can be a chicken barn. It can be a church building, but it can be anywhere else. Where, wherever that gathering is, he's like, I'm going to build that gathering. And that day, 3,000 were at it. It's some pretty powerful stuff. 3,000 added to the church before they ever entered the door of a church. And so when I think about, you know, the gates might be, might be down, and there's a lot of rubble going on in the, in the church in North America right now that's preventing people from being invited to church, I think it's an amazing thing. <laughs> if the church realizes that they've been equipped to go out and share the good news outside of this place, it doesn't matter what's happened to the church doors. The gates of the church would be wide open. Peter would go on to write this. Oh, I should say this, sorry. Jesus actually described himself as the gate. That's when he was talking in John chapter 10. He said, I am the gate. And uh, we, we've often said this thing, Stephen Covey says it, that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That for us as Jesus followers, our goal is not to call people to church, but like Peter wrote, that we would call them to come to Christ. That we would call them to come to Christ. And then Peter would go on in 1 Peter 2 verse 5. He says, and you, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you're his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Peter actually reminds them what Jesus is building. You know, when he said building, he didn't mean a building, not physical, but he did mean building. He's like, I am building something. I'm building a spiritual living building. And what do I build a spiritual living building out of? Spiritual living people. He says, you are living stones that construct this building. You know, I was reminded of the stones in Nehemiah. And, you know, in Nehemiah's account, they describe these stones as being broken, being charred. The enemy sitting there, you know, like thinking, yeah, I can't do much with that. Look at these things. They're, 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 uh, they're broken. They're torn down. They've got all the, the markings of, of the, the, the previous battles on them. And here's Peter making the statement, you are living stones. And maybe you feel like those stones I just described that, you know, the past couple of years feel like, man, I'm broken. Like there's, there's parts of me that are just, they're just not the same. Maybe relationally things are broken. Maybe you've got a past that's just, that's not perfect. A past that's not pretty. And you're like, yeah, I can, under, I can, I can relate to feeling that brokenness. Maybe the chart is more where you relate. You're like, man, I've been burned by people. I've been, I've been burned by the church. Maybe you say, I've been burned by this church. And I would say that that's probably true. And I, I would personally apologize for that, for, the, for, for where I've played a part in that. Definitely not the intention, but I can definitely see how that can happen. And here we have broken people, people that feel burned, these, these living stones with an enemy sneering, on the sidelines, you think you can build something with all of those broken pieces? You know, I just, he, he's always been the accuser. You know, that's whispering to the ears of Jesus. You, you think you could do something with this mess? Same as they said to Nehemiah, you think you're going to build a wall with all these broken charred stones? And he's like, we're going to rebuild. We're going to do it. We're, we're in. 
And you know what I love about Jesus is he's not waiting for your outer perfection to begin building his living temple. He's not waiting for your outer perfection to begin building his living temple. It's actually the opposite. He's perfected you on the inside and begins to build you into his living temple. And as a result, the things change in our lives for the better. You know, he's the one who's holding it all together. It isn't, it isn't about, you know, everything that's going on in our lives, the brokenness or whatever it may be. It is about him. And that's why Peter refers to him as the cornerstone. In that day and age, the cornerstone was, was a very significant part of the building. It was the thing that they set first and they made sure they'd, even, you know, sometimes even use the stars to align that stone so it would be in the, in the perfect place. And then everything else was built around that stone. In line with that stone, it, they, didn't, they were perfected because that one was perfect. And the, that's, that cornerstone made the difference for every, sing, every, every other person or every other stone. And we say it the same way, that as Christ's perfection is, is what his church is built on. It's not perfect pieces, but they're in line with him. He is the head of it. You know, in modern days, the cornerstone's a little different. You know, we don't, we don't need all of the, you know, the stars. And all this. We have technology that helps us build buildings that have straight walls. And, uh, and, and so now they use the cornerstone for different things. They, put, they write stuff on it. Like this church here, I had it written here that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. But someone will say, you know, Prominent Homes built this in 19, you know, or 2020, 21, or, or whatever, whatever it may say. That's where, that's, that's where they have the chance to like stamp their name on it, to put their inscription on it, that the, that the builder of that house gets glory because of their name being on it. And, that, and that's the same thought with the cornerstone, that, that what he's building, his spiritual temple, it's his church. It's his. It's, it's, it's not ours. It's his name on it. It's his fingerprints all over. And guess what? This building, this spiritual building is for his glory. And that we are simply connected to one another because we're connected to him. That the eyes remain on him in order for us to stay connected to one another. You know, I watched uh, the last episode of The Chosen Season 2. The disciples were arguing in this one part. And there's one lady, I, I, it's one of the Marys. She asked Thomas and says, you know, how do you describe this bun- these bunch of people? And you see them, the disciples are all kind of arguing, a, you know, a stone's throw away. And he says, well, that, that would be love. And she's like, well, that doesn't look like love to me. And he's like, yeah, I know. He says, but he explains it this way. They all love our rabbi. They all love our teacher. They, they all love Jesus, and they want to follow him the right way. They just can't agree on what that right way is. I thought, man, that church has not changed much since then. The people who love Jesus, they want to serve him. They want to follow him in the right way, and they, they, they find themselves arguing about what that right way is. And I, and I definitely could relate to that. I could relate uh, to, the, to the truth of it, but also the gratitude that I have towards Jesus, that if he can begin his church with some broken, burned, disagreeable disciples, then he can continue to build his church if we find ourselves in those places. You know, because in the end, it's not really all about us only, but it is about him and what he's done through us. And Peter goes on to say uh, in the last verses we want to read today, verse 6 to 10 of 1 Peter 2, he, he, just, he just reveals who Jesus is and how important he is to this. He says, as the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him, just remember those words, will never be disgraced. Verse seven, yes, you who trust him recognize uh, the honor that God has given him. But for those who reject him, that same stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse eight, he says, and he's the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. 
says that that's the difference. It's, it's these people who, who don't obey the lordship of Jesus, don't obey his word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Verse 9, he said, but you're not like that. Jesus follower, church of Jesus, you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You're his royal priests. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Man, I love that song. As we sing, the goodness of God is running after me. You know, it's running after you, but in, in the opportunity that you have to show that to the world. And he says to them, that, that's what you get to do. You get to show the goodness of God to the world. He says, why? Because the goodness of God is like sometimes you're like, well, you know, I don't know if God's good today because whatever's going on in your current situation. He's like, that, that's not the goodness of God that I'm talking about. He says, the goodness of God is this, that he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says that once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. And once you received no mercy, but you've received God's mercy. I don't know about you, but man, I'm grateful that he took me out of darkness and brought me to light. I'm grateful that, you know, when I needed mercy, he poured mercy on my life. I'm glad that I'm connected to his family. And that's where it comes down to it for each and every one of us. If you're, if you're listening and, you know, maybe you thought, well, I'm, kind of, I'm a Christian, but, you know, or I go to church or whatever it might be. It starts with what Peter said, that it's for those who put their trust in him. That's where it starts, where you put your hope and your trust in him. Not in a church and not in another human being. It's not in that thought of like, you know, I hope I'm going to make it to heaven someday. That, that, that's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, would you put your trust in me? And would you continue trusting that I'm still building my church and I'm using you? And that the gates of hell, it doesn't matter how, how forceful the attack is or where it may come from. It's never going to conquer what I'm building. It will not conquer. And that we would keep our eyes on the cornerstone in order to keep our, our lives together going in the, in the direction that he's called us to. Do you realize that you can show others the goodness of God right where you are? We don't have to bring people to a church building for them to see the goodness of God. In, in fact, we're probably, it's the opposite. We're, we're there to see the goodness of God in our lives out there, to see the opportunity for the goodness of God in their lives, the chance to become followers of Jesus, that they might be rescued from darkness and brought into his marvelous light, that they might receive mercy for the, for the mercy that they definitely need. And that they, like you, would be called a living stone, part of a living temple offering a living hope to the world. That's how Peter describes in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. He says, we've come to him, we've come to the living hope. We sing that song as well, but that's where it comes from, that Jesus is our living hope. You know, when we have hope in different things and circumstances and situations, once that time comes, it's over, and, and whether it happened or not, hope is done. But a living hope goes on, goes on and on. So, this is my question to today for, for each of us to consider. You know, wherever you think the church is at, maybe, and not just, in, not just in Kingsway, but in general, wherever you think, you know, the, the church is at, can I, can I invite you to join me through Advent? Maybe you're saying, you know, I'm going to fast something so that I can spend time in prayer and, and to, to join us as we pray for the church, that we pray for the church as a whole, um, that we would Take some time to think about sharing the good news of who Jesus is in our life. Taking the opportunity to share the, what he's done in our life. Telling your story. Uh, this, the, in a couple of days from now, we're having a couple baptisms in a hot tub near my house. Uh, with, where people are just, they, they say, this, sharing their story of, of what Christ has done in their life. And, and using an opportunity to do that. You know, and then finally, that you would be part of the church, which is the gathering. That you would 
that you would prioritize the gathering of Jesus followers. I hope if you're watching this, that you're watching it with someone else, that you're watching in a gathering of believers, that, that we would be that living temple, that gathering of, of uh, Jesus followers is offering hope to the world. And do you know the thought with Nehemiah? When Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, they weren't exactly like the walls were originally. They were different because the stones and everything had changed and everything was different, but they built something great. And my hope is that, you know, even as the church continues to build, it's not a rebuild. It might feel like a rebuild, but we're not rebuilding to what was what we once had, but that we're continuing to build along with Jesus, the church that he gave his life for, the mission to spread his hope and his joy, his love and his peace to the world. And what a great season uh, that we are approaching in order to do that. But it's intentional on our part to do it, to be part of building the church. And I would, I would ask, would you join us in that? And uh, my, my hope is that we wouldn't just return to where we once were, but that we would far surpass it because that's what he's all about. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm convinced that Christ gives us the, uh, the confidence that we don't even need to say, here's hoping. Can we pray? Father, thank you for, oh, thank you for so much. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. We're not here if you didn't do that. Father, thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, for your kindness that leads us to repentance. Father, thank you for bringing us into a family, calling us your children. Not only that, but calling us friends. It's mind-blowing. Your goodness and your mercy truly are amazing. And I'm grateful for that. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Thank you for the conversations with Peter. Thank you for whoever wrote those down and translated them so that we could read them in our language and understand. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for lighting it up in our hearts so we know what you desire to say to each and every one of us. Lord, we lift up your church today, wherever it may be meeting around the, around the globe. Father, we pray for them today that they would be courageous, that they'd be filled with your spirit, that they would shine bright, that people would be able to see uh, you moving through your body. Lord, I pray for us here individually in this place, in this expression of your body right here in, 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 those, in the gatherings of those listening. Lord, would you move through us? Would you lead us to be uh, the church that you desire us to be, to build our portion of the wall? God, I pray that whatever is seen as a result of this time in history, that you would be glorified in the telling of it. Father, I know there's people who don't know you. Some think they do, but they don't. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would awaken in them that true gospel, the good news, that they might come to know you as Savior and as Lord. Jesus, again, thank you for doing it in our lives. We just ask all of this in your name, the name above every name, the name worthy of praise, the name worthy of glory. Amen. Amen. Well, hopefully you have a chance to spend some time just chatting with some others and kind of digging a little deeper to see what Holy Spirit may want to kind of stir up in your heart. But the other thing I'd always encourage you is this, that you're like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to do the questions or whatever. Uh, I found that as I sit in a circle and ask, you know, go over these questions, I myself, I benefit so much from just hearing what other people have shared and what God's shown them through it, stuff that I didn't even see as a result of studying it on my own. So, 
here's a couple things to talk about. Number one, what jumped out at you from today's talk? That's always a common one. Maybe it's one of these three things. Maybe it's something completely different. And then second, what are some things you, that you're hoping for right now? What are those things that are on your like, man, this is what I'm looking forward to. This is what I'm expectant about. Third, what has Christ done in your life that others need to hear? What, what's, what's he doing in your life that others need to hear? What a great opportunity to share that right there in that circle. And then finally, how do you see Christ building his church right now? What do you think he's, what do you think he's doing? Where is he at work? And uh, what part do you play in that? And I uh, just want to say, you know, grateful for his plan of the church. That it doesn't matter, <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens uh, in the world around us, his church. That we are a part of, that we are. Man, what a great promise. We will overcome. We will overcome. And there will be a great celebration someday in his very presence of what happened here, even in this moment. So thank you for being a part of it. Hopefully you have a great week and we'll see you again soon.